Well, here in the Gospel of Mark, um, I want to start out by giving you just a, a little bit of, of um, an idea of what a gospel is and, and specifically what the Gospel of Mark is all about. All right, now in the Bible, we, the way that our Bibles are set up is we, we're split into an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? Genesis was the very first book of the Old Testament, and uh, that's where we started. But here, um, we're now moving up to the New Testament, all right? So this is the life of Jesus forward when you get to the New Testament. And the way that the New Testament starts is it starts out with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we call Gospels, okay? Now, I know for some of you, you've been in church your whole lives. You know this stuff. This is elementary. But for lots of people who, especially if you're new to the Bible, you're like, what? Wait a minute. I just heard this story. They start reading from the beginning of the New Testament. They read Matthew. They get into Mark, and they're like, hold on. They already said this part. What's happening here? Well, what's happening here is those first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, each one of those are four separate accounts of, of people recording the life and ministry of Jesus. All right? So four different people recording these, the, their, their viewpoint of what happened with Jesus. So four different accounts, four different authors. The word gospel, it's a church word, guys. So if you're not a church person, haven't come around, been raised in a church, the gospel simply means good news. All right? We can understand that. It's good news. That's all that gospel means. It's literally, that's what it means, good news. And the gospel of Mark that we have here, it's number two in that list, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, the one that we're going to study, was the earliest gospel written. All right? That means it was the cl one closest to when Jesus was alive and um, walking the earth. All right? And being the first one written, Mark was probably used as the kind of the structure and format uh, that Matthew and Luke used when they wrote their accounts. So what they did is Mark wrote it down. He wrote this gospel. Matthew and Luke end up reading it. They're like, oh, that's pretty good. But he forgot to talk about this part. Oh, and remember this? Oh, I was there for this part that you didn't hear. Or, oh, I talked to that person and they told me this other story about Jesus that fit in right here. They need to know that too. And so what they did is they took the Gospel of Mark and then expanded it and added in their parts and their pieces that they had collected and remembered. Um, we know that because a good portion of Mark, almost all of it actually, is repeated almost word for word in some cases in Matthew and Luke. All right? Traditionally, it is believed that Mark, the author of this letter, um, is the same person that is called John Mark in the New Testament, all right? So when you read through especially the book of Acts and you see this guy John Mark traveling around and doing the things that he's doing, that's the same person who wrote the gospel of Mark. Now, what we know about John Mark was that he was from Jerusalem and he would have been pretty young when Jesus was crucified there, all right? We don't know exactly how young, but probably like, maybe like late elementary school age, early teenage, maybe 10, 12 years old, something like that. Probably pretty young. Maybe as old as a, you know, 14, something like that, but pretty young. So if this guy Mark, John Mark, is, you know, 12 when Jesus is crucified, where did he get all this information to write this letter, this gospel? 
It's like, he was kind of a kid. Like, where did he get this stuff? Well, what we also learn about John Mark in the, in the Bible is that he was an assistant to the Apostle Peter. All right, and so if you've heard much about the gospel message, you've heard about Peter, you know about Peter, one of the 12, the primary one of the 12. We see him over and over. That guy, Peter, Simon Peter, we're gonna, he's gonna be in our story here today. Simon Peter, when he began traveling around and ministering and doing things after Jesus had already resurrected and the church was born and all those things, Peter began doing ministry all over the area. And with it, he took some people with him to help along in the journeys. And so John Mark was one of those assistants that traveled around with Peter wherever he went. And what John Mark did, what we believe, is he recorded the stories that Peter would tell about his time with Jesus. So John Mark, at the end of the day, would be like, Peter, now, you told me, you you said this to the crowd today. You were talking about that. You were talking about this. What else happened? And Peter's constantly, like, downloading to John Mark. Oh, well, then this happened to that. And, oh, I forgot to tell him this, you know? And so Mark has collected all this, this firsthand information from Peter. So in, in a lot of ways, it would have almost been better if they had called this the Gospel of Peter, right? Because it's really, uh, it's recording his eyewitness account, although it's Mark who, who wrote it down. Um, this, this book, the Gospel of Mark, was probably written in the late 50s, early 60s. I don't mean 1950s, I mean 50s, like 0050, okay? So what that means is like 20 or 30 years after Jesus is resurrected. Now, I don't know about you, I've got a pretty lousy memory, I'm proud to say. Um, did I already say that? I did. Um, I, but I can remember some things 20 years ago, right? And that's what this is, that's the gap. I can remember things from when I was a kid, I, I, and, and this is the, the space that's happening only 20 years or so after Jesus has already been crucified and risen, risen again. All right, so this still was fresh in Peter's mind and, and it's amazing that Mark could capture this for us. Now, here's the one other thing about the Gospel of Mark. And if you started with us last week and started reading that reading plan that I, that I gave you, um, you might already notice how compact the Gospel of Mark is how immediate the Gospel of Mark is. I use that word on purpose. Um, Because you're going to see the word immediately over and over and over in Mark. Mark, when you read the Gospel of Mark, you get the sense that this guy is trying to get this stuff to you really fast. He's like, this happened, and then this happened, oh, and this, and then that. And, And you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Immediately this, immediately that. That is the Gospel of Mark, all right? Um... Uh, and, and, and I think that that's just kind of how uh, he wanted to go about it. He wasn't trying to write this sprawling epic of a book that, you know, you have to wait to the end to see what happened. And you just read pages and pages and pages. And, no, that's not what Mark was about. He's like, I want to get as much about Jesus right out front, right here to you all at once so you know what's happening and, and you get all of the information that you need to have. I think that probably fits... Peter's personality as well. Peter, when you watch some of the impulsive things that Peter does, he's not kind of the guy to sit and chat about it for a long time. He's like jumping from this thing to that thing. So, what was it that Mark was trying to get across in this? I think that the the key components that we find in the Gospel of Mark can really be kind of squeezed into two big categories. All right? 
two main categories. Number one, he wants us to know who Jesus is. And number two, he wants us to know what it means to follow him. Who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And so as you're reading through this and as you're studying this, ask yourself those questions. Who is Jesus? Who, who is this Jesus of the Bible? Because lots of people have lots of ideas about Jesus, but they don't get it from what they find in the Bible. Guess what? That's a fairy tale Jesus. It might as well be Cinderella. <laughs> like you're, you're making stuff up. What we know about Jesus is here in Scripture. And God has given us the Scripture and given us the Word of God because he's given us all that we need to know about Jesus, okay? So ask yourself who, who Jesus is in the Scripture, and then secondly, what does it actually mean to follow him? Because that's the other thing that you see that's very different. There's lots of people who have an idea of Jesus, and they can tell you what they think it means to be right with God in the universe, to be one with the energy around, okay? But what does the Bible actually tell you about this? What is it that we can learn from it, all right? Now, the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, it, it really just, it starts with Jesus coming out of nowhere. The Gospel of Mark, there's no Christmas story, all right? That's like one of my favorite stories of the whole Bible. I love to know all the details of the shepherds and the angels and Christmas time, right? The, the manger and baby Jesus and Bethlehem and all this stuff. None of it. Again, Mark's got something to do. And that doesn't matter <laughs> to Mark. It matters. But you see what I, you understand my point. Mark just starts with Jesus coming out of nowhere. Um, and, and, and we do know that Jesus' beginnings were simple. Nazareth, his hometown, was a small little out-of-the-way village off the main road. Jesus didn't come from an influential family or he didn't go to some prestigious school. His ministry, the whole ministry of Jesus, it only lasted three years. Our church, South Point Church, has been around twice as long as Jesus ministered. That's crazy, right? Three years was, was all that he was here. But in that three-year period, he ultimately changed the entire world. And Jesus did that by changing people. He changed people. He changed the people that he interacted with. And that's what he still does today. Okay? And as we study this gospel, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to look at the ways that Jesus calls us to change. All right? And, and I know that when I say that, for many of you, that's not a comfortable word. You're fine with everybody else changing, and other things changing, but you don't want to change. Because change is sometimes painful. Change is sometimes uncomfortable. Change sometimes stirs up fear in us or worry. Maybe we're totally happy the way things are right now. Why should I change? But what you see, the call of God in our lives, the call of Jesus in our lives, is it includes change. It includes transformation. Jesus calls us to change. He calls us to a new way of life. He calls us to a new way of seeing our families, our friends, our neighbors, our world. He calls us to new priorities and new experiences. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at several different moments when Jesus calls. Today, we're going to begin in chapter 1, starting in verse 14. 
So if you've got to Mark 1 already, now go up to verse 14. And that's where we're going to begin. And here's what it says. It says, now after John was arrested, just to give you background, that's John the Baptist. He was the one who came and prepared the way for Jesus. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. All right, so stop right there. As his ministry began, Jesus started by preaching the good news of the arrival of the kingdom to anybody who would listen. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark. So Mark said, well, how is it that I'm going to get straight to Jesus and describe what happens? He says, here's what it is. He just showed up and he starts preaching. And he starts preaching the kingdom. This, this, this kingdom where he says it's time to repent and believe. This is what Jesus is doing. Now, you have to understand this. Galilee, where Jesus is at here, is in Israel. The, the nation of Israel, that zone that we have today, that is this same area. Galilee is by the Sea of Galilee, which is going to be important in our next little section here. All right, and so the people that are living in this region are all Jews. Remember what we've been studying for the past several weeks? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we looked at the 12 sons of Jacob, being Joseph and those other ones. And then the 12 tribes. Well, later in history, what happened is those 12 tribes then went back to Canaan, Israel, the promised land. And they settled out all throughout the land. Well, then hundreds and thousands, a thousand years have gone by since all that took place, all right? Where we're up here in the New Testament. So now this entire land is filled with people who are Jews, people from the tribe of Judah, all right? And they're living here in this land and they've been going along uh, about their lives doing what they do, all right? But here's the thing about those, those Jews. All of them are waiting for what they call the Messiah, they're waiting on a Messiah, a, a, a belief in a Savior, a person who would come and give them freedom. Uh, someone who would come and lead them as their almighty ruler. Because right now what's happening in the time of Jesus is Israel and all that land is part of the Roman Empire. Rome leads this area. It's not some is Israeli leader. Uh, they don't have a prime minister. They're not their own nation. They're under the occupation of Rome. Rome is the, the, the most powerful empire in this region of, of earth at the time. So these people of Israel are waiting for a Messiah. And just so you know too, it's not like as soon as they left Egypt, they just lived happily ever after for a few hundred years. No. This is what the, the people, the Jews have been dealing with all through their history. First, the Babylonians will get them. The Assyrians will get them. Then you'll have this people taken off into captivity and those people taken into captivity. And then they're raided over here and raided from there. They're always being oppressed. They're always being exploited. They're always being overrun. They've never had full autonomy and freedom. Tiny little time in the time of King David and King Solomon. But other than that, they're having problems. All right? So being this oppressed people, always taken advantage of and ruled over by these other nations... A Jew is someone who is always waiting, 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 generation after generation. But they believed that one day, one day, God would establish his kingdom with them as his people under the rule of the Messiah, a holy nation of people 
under God's protection and providence. So when Jesus appeared to them and announcing the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, that's what they understood him to claim. And that's what he was claiming. So when he shows up and says, it's now, that's what they're hearing. They're lighting up like, hold on, what'd you just say? He's like, "Uh uh-huh, that's what I've said. That's what's going on. His challenge was also very serious for them. Repent and believe in the gospel. What he's saying is, hey, this is the greatest news you've ever heard. God's kingdom is here. The time that all your ancestors have been waiting for and looking toward has arrived. But you, you then need to get your hearts right. You need to repent and believe in this gospel. Repent of your sins. Believe that this is happening. So Jesus, right from the beginning, he called people to do what? He called them to change. He says, you've got to repent. You're going to need to do something a little different here because the kingdom of God is breaking in. Now, when we look at this call now, specifically to these, these four men we're going to see here, we're going to see that it gets a little more specific. So read there with me in verse 16. It says, so then, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, and by the way, that's the Apostle Peter. Simon's name gets changed to Peter later. So Simon Peter, that's him, same guy. So Simon Peter and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets. There's our immediate word, right? (laughs) Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the the nets. And immediately, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, the first thing that I want you to notice here, the first of two calls we're going to look at here today, is a call to follow. When Jesus calls, he calls us first to follow. It's the first word out of his mouth to these fishermen here. He says, I want you to follow me. This is where everything begins. Now, I don't want you to be confused, especially if this is the first time you've read through a gospel. This is not the first conversation that Jesus had with these fishermen. All right, it wasn't this weird thing where this, you know, preacher teacher has been cruising around the neighborhood and all of a sudden he comes by the Sea of Galilee and it's like this, this tractor beam where he's like, follow me. And they're like, they just can't stop themselves. They just come after, you know, and they're, they're doing it. They just drop their nets and they're like, forget it, I'm out of here, I've got to follow him. That's not what's going on. It feels that way kind of a little bit when you read Mark because it's so immediate, but that's not what's happening. Uh, in John, the Gospel of John, it actually tells us that it was Andrew was, was the first one who, who heard Jesus preach and who introduced his brother Simon Peter to Jesus before this event ever took place. They already knew him. They had already been hearing his preaching and teaching for some time. In fact, these men, all four of these men, had even witnessed a miracle that Jesus had done before this. All right, They had been out fishing one night Jesus asked to borrow a boat so that he could back up a little bit from the shore to speak to a crowd. 
They had spent all night fishing, hadn't caught, caught anything. And when Jesus was done preaching, he turns to these four fishermen and he's like, hey guys, let's catch some fish. Throw your nets out. And they're like, teacher, we just fished all night long and we didn't catch anything. Skunked, nothing. And he's like, oh, it's good, guys. Go ahead, just for me, do it. Throw, toss the nets over. They toss the nets over. The nets are so full with fish, they start to sink both boats. And these guys are like, that's weird. <laughs> this doesn't happen. This is amazing. This is miraculous. This is crazy. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's, yeah, of course. That's what happens, all right? So they've experienced this. They've experienced miracles. They've heard Jesus preach. They've heard his call to, to repent and believe in the gospel. And notice, though, when he says that, that first phrase, when he says to them, follow me, I want you to understand that what Jesus was asking them here to do, it was a, it was a formal invitation to follow him like a student would follow a teacher or like an apprentice would follow a master. Now, we live in a different world than they did. When we want to learn something, maybe you want to get, they want to train you for some, something at work that you don't know. What do they do? They'll send you to some certification class or they'll tell you, hey, watch this video online or hey, read this manual or whatever. Learn this thing and then we'll put you to work. Um, but in, in this time, in this era, that's not the way things worked. If you wanted to learn something, it wasn't that there were all these different specialized schools and universities and colleges around to help give you, teach you all these different things. Whatever trade that you were going to learn, whatever thing that you would learn, you would go and apprentice with that other teacher. All right? And in many cases, what would happen is, say you were a, you know, a 14-year-old boy that wanted to learn how to... I guess they didn't have indoor plumbing. It wouldn't be plumbing. You wanted to learn how to be a carpenter, we'll say. What you would do is you would go and literally you'd move out of your house and you'd move in to the, 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 the house of the, the carpenter and every morning when the carpenter got up to go to work, you'd get up and go with him. You'd eat the same breakfast that he ate. You'd go, you'd spend the day there. He'd show you what to do. He'd teach you the things. When he'd go out for supplies, you'd go out for supplies. When you come home at night in the afternoons, that's what you do. Whatever he's doing, he's hanging out, you're hanging out. He's working hard, you're working hard. That's the way it was, all right? It was this very close relationship in this way. And that is the sort of thing that Jesus is calling these guys to. That is what he is inviting them toward, to live with him, to walk with him, to go where he went and to share experiences together. Well, why though would these guys even consider that? Here is this teacher, that's great, and man, he really knows how to catch fish, that's pretty cool, but why would they follow him? Why would they actually say, all right, we're doing this, we'll follow him? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because these men believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It's the only thing that makes sense. They truly believed that he was the Messiah. John 1, 40 and 41, it won't be on the screen for you, says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. That's actually how Andrew even introduced his brother Simon to Jesus. He said, he ran back home and found Simon and is like, Simon, we found the Messiah. 
Not, we found this really cool guy who has some good things to say or this impressive rabbi, teacher. No, none of that. We found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So belief was the first necessary step in this relationship, but the decision to follow him or not was the very next step. That's why Jesus had to say to them, hey, follow me. Now the ball's in their court. They have to decide, all right, how, what do we really believe about this guy? How much do we believe in him? And here's the thing what I want you to understand. There are people in this world that believe in Jesus, but do not follow him. Lots of them. They believe in Jesus, but do not follow Jesus. And it's important that you can discern the difference for yourself. And I'll just tell you, it was that way when he was here in the flesh, and it's that way now that he's here in the spirit. And that's for various reasons. There's a, there's a very subtle difference between believing in Jesus and actually putting your faith in Jesus. All right? But the difference in outcome is eternal. Having a, a shallow belief that Jesus was a good human and an inspiring teacher that lived 2,000 years ago, oh yeah, yeah, there's some guy named Jesus, I believe that, you know. That's not the same as having a saving faith and trust that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's two very different things. James, not the James that's in this story, but James, the half-brother of Jesus who led the church in Jerusalem in the first century, he wrote the letter James that we have in our Bibles. In James chapter 2, here's what he says. He says, So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have any works, it's dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Listen to what he says here. He says, you believe that God is one, right? That there's really a God and there's, you know, one God and all that. That's good. You do well, he says. But even demons believe and shudder. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, the demons believe the facts about Jesus. They know those things better than we do. Because they can see things in the spiritual realm. They believe that. But that doesn't mean that they have faith in him or that they have a relationship with him. They've rejected him. Belief won't cause you to follow Jesus. But faith will. All right? Are you seeing the difference here? I follow Jesus because I believe he is the way and the truth and the life. That's why I follow after him. And when Jesus called these four men to follow him, that's what he was inviting them to. He was calling them to surrender their grip on their own lives. He called them to follow him in faith. And he still calls people the same way today. It's miraculous, it's incredible, but that's what he does. And if you have not answered that call, the call to follow him in faith, None of the rest of these calls that we're going to study for the next seven weeks, uh, none of them are going to have any true meaning for you. It all starts there. Spiritual health, spiritual life starts with faith. The rest of those things come after that point. Because you can come to church, you can learn about the Bible, you can study its history and the, the, the cultures and customs. You can analyze the teachings and ideas of Jesus and his followers throughout all the centuries. You can explore 
various spiritual concepts and expressions and practices. You can be a very spiritual person. But until you place your faith in Jesus and allow him to begin transforming your life, you won't experience the relationship. I've had people before tell me, and maybe you have too, where they said, well, I tried the, the Christian thing. It just wasn't for me. No, you, no, you, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand. You may have looked into what a church says or some teacher says. You may have even read the Bible. You may have some idea about what that stuff's all about. But you don't just try Jesus and then realize it's not for you. You didn't get to try him. Because if you had tried him, you would not be saying that you tried him and it wasn't for you. It is for you. It's for everyone. But we have to help people understand those things. And understanding that helps us now see the next call that we see Jesus make. After he says this, this phrase, follow me, there's more there. All right? There's more there. Because what he says is he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, you're getting a call. Each of these four guys, they had spent their entire lives living by the Sea of Galilee, learning how to fish. All right? Now, they most likely came from a long lineage of fishermen on top of that. All right? As little boys playing on their father's and grandfather's boats, they knew they would spend their lives catching fish. Just like their forefathers, right? Fish provided everything that they had. Everything they had and everything that they were. They, the, the fish that they caught and sold provided the food and clothing and shelter for themselves and for their families. It's how they spent their days. And it's how they spent their nights. It was their currency and their livelihood. These guys knew fish, okay? It, it wasn't just a hobby on the weekends. Jesus didn't walk along the Sea of Galilee and just happen to see a couple guys, you know, with a rod and reel doing their thing. No, these guys are commercial fishermen. It's their life, all right? You understand that? Okay. So when Jesus came and called them, and he says, I am going to make you become fishers of men, he's speaking their language, but he's making it very clear that I'm calling you to a new purpose, a new thing. What you've been investing all your life in, all your energy in, all your focus on all this thing, fish, 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 He's like, that's no longer what you're going to do. If you come and follow me, things are going to shift. Drastically shift. Everything that you've known, everything your ancestors have known, we're pushing that to the side and we're going over here in a whole different direction. This wasn't a minor redirection. It was a total career change. Fish would no longer be their ambition. People would. That's what he's saying when he says to be fishers of men. People are going to be your new focus. And so they had, they had heard enough of what Jesus had been preaching and teaching to have an understanding of what that would mean. Because Jesus was bringing the gospel message to every person who would listen to him. They'd seen this in action. People were starting to gather in crowds when he would speak. But even when he was away from the crowds, he was pursuing people. And they saw that about Jesus. They understood that. They had been the recipients of that. So they knew that when Jesus says, hey, I want you to follow me and we're going to go fish for humans, they understood he's, he's calling us to actually turn outward and begin looking toward people and for people. We are going to pursue people. 
Jesus' purpose was to bring people into the kingdom of God. That was his purpose. In fact, he specifically said it that in Luke 4.43. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns, all the people, for I was sent for this purpose. That's why he was here. But here's the rub. This call to purpose isn't just for the people that God calls to have a job in a church. It's not just for the pastors or the elders or the missionaries. Every Christian is called to this purpose. It's what we call evangelism. It's sharing the good news. It's taking the good news to other people. And it's the job of the church to equip every Christian to bring the gospel with them wherever they find themselves in the world. It doesn't matter if you are a school teacher or a scientist, a social worker or a sailor, <laughs> you name it. It doesn't matter. You're called to share the gospel as a Christian. And for most of us, that idea that, that God could, is calling me to a purpose, he's not only called me to follow, but he's calling me to a purpose, that's a little bit intimidating. Maybe a lot bit intimidating. Because of our fear or insecurity, we sometimes then put that call of Jesus on hold. Now we watch these guys and we're like, whoa. James and John, they just, they're hanging out with dad, working, doing what they need to do. Jesus says follow, they're like, pops, we're out of here. Now, dad might just be like, again, you guys, like, come on. <laughs> I don't know. But they're like, man, we're doing this. We're, as Mark would say, immediately, we're going to follow you. But for us, sometimes we hear that, that purpose, that call, and we're like, ah, Jesus, I'm not so sure about that. Can we push that off a little bit? Can we wait until I'm like older, way older? Um, you know, I'll have a, an incredible like retirement home ministry. It'll be cool. Like just let me, let me get to that point. Maybe, maybe that's it. Um, why? Because we have things that need to be taken care of. And sometimes we say, well, I need those things to be taken care of first. I've got a career to think about. I've got financial obstacles, debt I've got to clear out. My, my kids need extra attention right now. I, I've got family drama that needs to be sorted out. I've got a pile of laundry that's not fixing itself. You know, I've got this big project at work coming up. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, for some people, like these men, Jesus calls us to drop everything and hit the road, right? That's what he was calling these guys specifically. He says, look, guys, you can't be in the boats anymore. We've got to go find people, and they're not hanging out in the lake with you. So drop what you're doing, and here we go, all right? And if that's what he's spoken to you, then you need to do that. But for most of us, that's not what he's calling us to do. That's not what I'm telling you here today. So I, I hope that's not what you're, what you're hearing. For most of us, He's calling us to be faithful to our purpose right where we're at. Right where we're at. With the people that he's planted us with. With the skills and resources that we've already been given. With the opportunities that he will provide. Notice this when he says how they were to become fishers of men. Look, look back there again. He says, follow me and work really hard and I'll make you fishers of men. 
No. Um, he doesn't say, follow me, spend some time in school, and, and you're going to get this nailed down, and then you'll become fishers of men. Follow me, watch this series on YouTube. And, no, no, none of these things. What he says is, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Who's doing the work? He is. The big man. I will make you. And as we began, I told you that we're going to see different ways that Jesus calls us to change. And it's important to see that the sort of transformation that Jesus wants to do in our lives is powered by His Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, His Spirit. That's why the call to follow comes first. All right? You cannot fulfill God's purpose for your life without His Spirit. You don't receive his spirit without following him. Jesus said in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can't do it. You can't go fish for men without me. You cannot fulfill your purpose that I'm calling you to without me. You can't do it. And if you do not follow him first, then his spirit is not in you. And if his spirit is not in you, you cannot fulfill your purpose. But he can and will make us the people that he needs us to be. Our role is to follow him and embrace the purpose that he's given us. So, as we finish here today, where do you find yourself in this? when you hear these calls. Because the call to follow and the call to purpose is still fresh in God's mouth toward you. We still have a call to follow and a call to purpose. But what's he calling you toward right now? Is he calling you to follow him? Maybe today is the day that you make the shift from just belief to faith. I've heard it say that that faith, one way to describe faith is, faith is belief plus trust. It's it's saying, I I not just believe the facts about it, I'm going to trust that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. Maybe that's you. And and you might have been in church for most of your life, but you've still withheld your faith. You might wonder why you aren't seeing your life being changed by God. If, you, if you're not, then maybe you're not being transformed by him. Surrender to God. Pray to him and place your faith in Jesus. For others of you, maybe he's calling you to step into your purpose. Maybe this is something that's kind of confirmed in your heart where you're like, man, I really should share my faith with others. Man, that neighbor that I was thinking about that I haven't really wanted to ever say any of this to, maybe I really should. Maybe maybe I can share my faith. So today, pray for opportunities to share your faith with somebody else. Ask God for courage and empowerment by His Spirit. And either way, no matter where it is, I just want to encourage you to answer His call. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I do thank you today for your word. I thank you for what we've seen in the gospel of Mark today. And God, I ask that you would just make us the people that you want us to be. Lord, allow my brothers and sisters to experience transformation and change in their lives.
You have not called us to stay the same. You have called us to change. And that happens by your spirit. And today, Lord, we just pray that we'd see it. That's one of my prayers to you, Lord, as you know, as I've been preparing for this series, is that we would, we would see you change us. That we would yield ourselves to the work of your spirit in our lives. And that we would become the people that you're calling us to be. And why, Lord, why do we do that? Because we know that in you, in following after you, experiencing your work in our lives, that is where life is for. Thank you, Lord, that you told us that you came, that we would have an abundant life. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. doesn't mean that there's not going to be pain sin and, and death and destruction in our lives, but, but Lord, you want to make the life that, have, that we have, the days that we have, as full and as meaningful as possible. And that happens when we're walking in your spirit. And so Lord, we, we pray today that you would transform us and you would change us. I pray today if there are any here that have not put their faith in you, that this moment will be the moment that they take that step forward with you, that they would answer your call to them. That voice of Jesus saying, follow me, is still being spoken today. Allow them to, to make that, that step to follow you. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Allow them to sense your presence, your closeness. Be with us as we go through this week, Lord. Guide our steps. Give us opportunities to share, to love, to be the people that you want us to be. And may we bring you glory and honor in our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray.